Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. Our scripture reading for today comes from the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John. Hear these words. It was still the first day of the week. That evening, while the disciples were behind closed doors, because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. When the disciples saw the Lord, they were filled with joy. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they aren't forgiven. Thomas, the one called Didymus, or twin, one of the twelve, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas replied, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in the wounds left by, his na- by, by the nails, and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. After eight days, his disciples were again in a house, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into my side. No more disbelief. Believe. Thomas responded to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Jesus replied, do you believe because you see me? Happy are those who don't see and yet believe. Then Jesus did many other miraculous signs in his disciples' presence, signs that aren't recorded in this scroll. But these things are written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's Son, and that believing you will have life in his name. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This passage of scripture uh, tells us about a man named Thomas. And because of this passage of scripture, Thomas acquires a nickname that has stuck with him over the centuries. Does anybody know what the nickname is? 
Good job, Doubting Thomas. Now, I don't think this is particularly fair. No one wants to have a nickname include the word doubting, right? But if you look through scripture, from Old Testament to New Testament, if you read stories about the various characters that you find in scripture, you find that Thomas is not the only person in the Bible who ever doubted. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, people doubt. They doubt whether God is present with them. They doubt whether God is going to hear their prayers. They doubt whether God is going to save them, to intervene on behalf of the people. Certainly, if you look in the Gospels, there are other disciples. Peter comes to mind as people who doubt Jesus, doubt his identity, doubt what he really means when he says some of his teachings, doubt. Thomas certainly does not doubt any more than you and I doubt. And oftentimes we use that phrase doubting Thomas to refer to other people that we encounter who doubt, who question, who do not believe what maybe comes more easily to us to believe. So who is Thomas? Thomas is one of the 12, one of the disciples who has been with Jesus throughout Jesus's ministry. We can assume that Thomas is probably from the Galilee region. Certainly he was living in the Galilee and that's when he followed Jesus and became part of the disciples. So Thomas would have been with Jesus when Jesus triumphantly entered Jerusalem on that day we celebrate as Palm Sunday. Thomas would have been with Jesus as he's teaching in the temple in Jerusalem during that last week of Jesus's life. Thomas was probably with the disciples in the upper room celebrating uh, the Passover meal, celebrating what we now call the Last Supper. Thomas would have been there. And while he's not explicitly named, he was probably one of the disciples who went with Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And he was probably one of the disciples who fell asleep. Thomas would have seen Jesus arrested. He would have seen Jesus taken away to the Jewish leaders and then to the Roman officials for questioning. Thomas perhaps maybe followed along, but sort of from a distance to know what was happening to Jesus, but you know, to not get so close that he too could be arrested. Thomas may have seen, and certainly he would have heard about Jesus being beaten and crucified on the cross. He would have heard the death sentence that was given to Jesus. When you read in the different gospel accounts about Jesus's crucifixion, it kind of talks about some of the disciples who had fled, who were not there, 
who were not present at the moment when Jesus died. Thomas may have been one of those disciples who had abandoned Jesus in that moment of suffering and pain. So Thomas may not have seen with his own eyes or heard with his own ears, but he would have known that Jesus died. And Thomas is not listed as one of the people who were there when Jesus' body was taken down from the cross and placed in a tomb. But Thomas would have known that that's what happened to Jesus' body. As far as Thomas knew and believed, there was no way for Jesus to still be alive. Jesus had died. And that was the end of the story. Thomas is not listed as going to the tomb on that first day of the week. No, it was the women who went to the tomb to uh, offer the burial rituals to Jesus. It was the women who saw that the tomb was empty and heard the good news that Jesus was alive. It was the women who went back to the disciples to tell them the good news. But Thomas is not listed as being with the other disciples who heard the women, who heard their testimony. And later on that evening, the disciples were gathered in a room behind closed and locked doors, for they were afraid. They were afraid that what had happened to Jesus, how Jesus had been arrested and sentenced to die, they were afraid that that could be their fate, that that could happen to them. And so they kind of barricaded themselves in a room. And Jesus appeared to them. Jesus said, peace be with you. Jesus showed them the scars, saying, it's really me. I'm not some ghost or a figment of your imagination. I'm not some wishful thought. I am here and I am with you. But Thomas wasn't there. Thomas did not see with his own eyes. He did not hear with his own ears. He did not experience Jesus' resurrection for himself in that moment. We don't know where Thomas was. But when he does finally show up to his friends, to the other disciples, to his community, he finds a group of people who are sitting around wailing and grieving and crying, right? No. He finds a group of people who are overjoyed and excited. And at first, Thomas is probably a little bit weirded out. Like, wait a second. Jesus is dead. Why are you celebrating? This doesn't line up. This doesn't match up. Your response doesn't match reality. And his friends, the disciples, they tell him the good news. We have seen the Lord. He is risen. He is alive. So Thomas hears these words, he hears what his friends have to say, and he believes his friends, right? He says, cool, good, yay, I believe you. No, that's not what he says. 
He hears his friends, he sees their excitement and their joy, and he says, nope, I don't believe it. And I'm not going to believe until I see it for myself, until I touch Jesus for myself. I am not going to believe. And can we blame him? Resurrection is not something we see every day. Thomas saw and knew and lived a life where there was suffering and death. That's what he had seen and known and experienced. And resurrection did not fit that mold. Resurrection seemed fantastical and too much, too much to believe. Too much to even hope for. It's not just Thomas. You and I also struggle to believe. We struggle to believe where we have not yet seen, when we have not experienced for ourselves, when we have not been in the room when something has happened. Not only that, when other people tell us about an event that happened and we were not there to witness it, when other people tell us about a decision that was made and we were not part of the decision makers, we too doubt and we question. And sometimes we even assign motives to the people who were in the room or motives to the people who were part of making a decision. Well, they were just dumb. They didn't know. They don't know as much as I do. They were not as informed or as enlightened as I am. Of course, they would make that decision. It's clearly the wrong one. It's easy for us to doubt when we have to trust and rely on other people. It seems that this story about Thomas, not only maybe perhaps it's a story about doubt, but more importantly, I think it's a story about belief. And Sometimes the hard decision it is to believe. Belief is a churchy word. Cam talked about liturgy being a churchy word. And so I think belief is another one of those churchy words that we throw around. In the movie The Princess Bride, there's a character by the name of Inigo Montoya. And he goes around and he says, "Um, you keep using that word and I don't think you know what it means. I think oftentimes in the church, we go around using words like belief, and sometimes we're not really sure what that word means. So one definition of belief is confidence in the truth or existence of something not immediately susceptible to rigorous proof. I'm married to a scientist who likes his experiments He likes to have a process, and he likes to know every step of the process along the way. 
so that when you come to some sort of conclusion in the end, you can kind of trace it back and say, yep, this makes sense. These results make sense given all of the different steps along the way. Some of you that are math-minded and science-minded and engineering-minded also can relate. You want something to be able to be rigorously proved. Belief also relates to the words faith, confidence, trust, and reliance. In this story with Thomas, we see Thomas experiencing a crisis of belief after Jesus died on the cross. Thomas lost faith in his friends and in his community. How come Jesus showed up to his friends and not him? That's a crisis of faith. Thomas lost faith in the words and the actions of Jesus. He was not confident in the existence of the resurrection because he could not prove the resurrection for himself. Thomas could not rely on there being any good news in such a seemingly hopeless situation. Writer Glennon Doyle defines faith this way. She says, faith is looking for the truer, more beautiful world, not a list of rules that we keep, that keep people in and out. Faith is this hunch that it was all supposed to be more beautiful than this. Faith in action is not just having this hunch, but stretching for it. Thomas's crisis of belief is that he is longing for a truer, more beautiful world. And he feels disconnected from it. Thomas is not alone. You and I, we long for a truer, more beautiful world. And sometimes we hold on to that idea, that hunch, but we fail to act upon it. We fail to stretch for it. We get stuck in our rules. We get stuck in our ideas of how things should be. We hold on to what is known and familiar instead of imagining what a truer, more beautiful world could be. And we fail to act, to do just one thing each day to make that truer, more beautiful world possible. Like Thomas, we lack faith in our friends and our community. Our feelings get hurt when we are left out of experiences or decisions. We doubt and we criticize. It's so easy to do. And sometimes we even assume the worst. We assume the worst of each other. Our past hurts um, make it so that we we continue to assume the worst. Perhaps a truer, more beautiful world is one in which we choose to think truer, more beautiful things of each other. Perhaps the people that we interact with on a daily basis, the people who live in our own households, spouses, parents, children, siblings, neighbors, coworkers, maybe even people at church? What does it look like to assume 
truer, more beautiful things, thoughts and ideas of each other. Some scholars call this the assumption of positive intent. It's to start from a place that people mean well, and they're not out to get me, and they're not dumb. They mean well, and they're trying to do their very best. Dr. Brene Brown says, I know my life is better when I work from the assumption that everyone is doing the best they can. And sometimes that's really hard. I struggle with that. Because sometimes what I think is my best, I think everybody else should live up to that best. And when people don't, oh, then we have a problem. But I never stopped to consider that maybe my best, what I'm able to do in a given situation, in a given context, on a given day, may not be as good as somebody else's best. I never think that. I always hold my best as the highest standard. Do you do that? What does it look like to assume that everybody is doing the best they can? given their health, their situation, their family, given whatever is going on in their world that I may know nothing about. Does that open up the possibility that I might think truer, more beautiful things about the other person? Certainly I might be able to offer and extend a little bit more grace. Writer A.J. Jacobs says, it would be helpful if we were more curious about each other and less furious. More curious and less furious. Thinking true and beautiful things of other people may just be a stretch. But I wonder if these thoughts could open up the possibility of new life. New life for you and for your relationships. Like Thomas, we lack faith in Jesus. And sometimes we even lack faith that there is a more beautiful world out there. A truer, more beautiful world where death does not win. Because when we read the news, we listen to the news, we look on social media, oftentimes we can be so overwhelmed by all the suffering and the bad news and the heartbreak in the world. And if that's what we know, then sometimes it's even hard to believe that new life is possible, that there could be a more beautiful world when all we see is the difficulty around us. Eight days after Jesus first appears to the disciples, he appears to them again behind another locked door. And this time Thomas is with them. Jesus appears to his disciples and he says, peace be with you. And then he calls out Thomas. He says, Thomas, come here. 
Come see my hands. See the scars, touch the wounds in my hands and in my side. Do not disbelieve any longer. Believe. Thomas is remembered for doubting, but he's not remembered for offering one of the most outstanding and uh, incredible statements of faith in the Gospels. When he sees Jesus, he says, my Lord and my God. We remember Thomas for his doubts. We don't remember him for his confession of faith. For the way that he changed his mind and his heart. For the way that he embraced the resurrection and its mystery. He didn't figure it all out. He didn't prove how the resurrection was possible. But his encounter with Jesus led him to say, yep, this is my Lord and my God. Choosing to have faith, choosing to believe that a truer, more beautiful world is possible sometimes involves us changing our hearts and our minds, stretching ourselves to believe where we cannot yet see, stretching ourselves to believe that the Good Fridays we see all around us is not the end of the story. Father Richard Rohrer offers, the cross is the standing statement of what we do to one another and to ourselves. The resurrection is the standing statement of what God does to us in return. Choosing to believe in a truer, more beautiful world where death does not win is stretching and reaching out and imagining the possibility that God is always restoring and making new creation out of the dust and the junk of our lives. When we look around us, when we look at the suffering, when we look at the pain and the heartbreak around us, do we choose to see God in the midst of it? The God that was present and at work on Good Friday. And then do we choose to look and see how God is recreating and breathing the breath of life into God's new creation. The God who was present on that resurrection day. Do we stretch ourselves to imagine how God could work through us to restore our lives, to work through us, to enable us to be repairers of all that is broken in the world, to imagine a truer, more beautiful world, is to open ourselves up to the possibilities that God just may use us to make that truer, more beautiful world happen. John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31 says, Then Jesus did many other miraculous signs in his disciples' presence, signs that aren't recorded in this scroll. 
But these things are written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's Son, and that believing you will have life in his name. I love this couple verses. One, because it just tells us pretty, pretty straight that um, Jesus did way more and said way more than what this gospel writer wrote down. I kind of love that, right? The gospel writer was like, I kind of got tired of writing and I didn't include it all, but here you go. I also love that the gospel of John and the other gospels are written so that we can believe, so that we can have faith, so that we can stretch ourselves to imagine how God is at work in and among and through us, how God has been at work in the past and how God will be at work in the future. And I also love this, that little phrase because it reminds us that these things are written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ and that in believing you will have life. To believe, to have faith, to stretch yourself, to imagine that a truer, more beautiful world is possible is also connected to life. A truer, more beautiful world, a truer, more beautiful life. Maybe, just maybe, today and throughout the Easter season, it's time to stretch ourselves beyond our doubts and our preconceived notions, our lists, our comfort zones. And perhaps this season is an invitation to work with God, to stretch ourselves, to work for a truer, more beautiful life for ourselves and for others, for our church, for our community, and for our world. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we give thanks that you are a God of new beginnings. That just as you created in the beginning, you are still recreating, recreating us even now. That you are at work restoring and breathing the breath of life into us. God, we pray that today you will work within us to give us imaginations for what a truer, more beautiful world could look like and empower us to join you in making that world a reality. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, 
We invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.